Uh, our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, and I'm going to be reading de- uh, several different passages, so you may just want to look in your bulletin and follow along there. But we're going to start in John 1. This is the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And from John 9, verses 1 through 7. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might, display, might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and he made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and he washed and he came back seeing. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to imagine with me that it is 2002 and you have just gone to see the movie Spider-Man. Now, back in 2002, this is one of the first Marvel movies that came out. This is a big deal when Marvel began to take uh, comic books and turn them into movies. I know there's been 18 now, but if you can imagine, back to 2002, this was a big deal. Um, Earlier, I used this illustration with my college students, and I realized that I was asking them to imagine something that when they were three years old, right? That's called a campus ministry fail, right? So 2002, you watch Spider-Man. And this is, this is a big deal. This is amazing. You see the movie, and um, the, 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 the lights go off, the credits, the credits roll, and then at the end of the movie, the lights come back on, and you look down, and at the very front of the movie theater is Tobey Maguire. Now, Tobey Maguire is the guy who played Spider-Man in the original Marvel movies, right? And so you see him, and you wonder, okay, what's going on here? You know, is this like, uh, you know, I didn't know there was going to be a celebrity here. Is this going to be a sign? You know, we're gonna sign is he going to sign some T-shirts or something? What's going on? And he's, and he's dressed in his Spider-Man outfit. And he says, I have an announcement to make. This is not fake. This is real life. I am Spider-Man. And he pulls down his mask, and he starts shooting webs and slinging all around the room, right? Now, that, that's how you make an announcement, right? Just completely dramatic. Uh, it gets the point home, right? Jesus knows how to make an announcement. He knows how uh, to, to make things clear. In John 8, the passage that we're reading, let me give you a little bit of context for what's going on. There, is, there has been a festival that's been going on in Jerusalem for quite a while. It's the Festival of Booths or the Festival of, of Tabernacles. Basically, what's going on during this festival in the Jewish nation is that uh, it's a celebration when people basically camped out. Everybody were, were, was living in booths. They were, they were living in tabernacles. And they were celebrating a time in Israel's history when God had redeemed them from Egypt. And he brought them out. Uh, and he tabernacled with them, right? He, he pitched his tent in the midst of them, uh, and they, they, they lived in tents for this time as he uh, led them through the wilderness. And so during this celebration, the Festival of Booths, uh, one of the things that they had in Jerusalem is that in the temple, they had these candles that they would light. 
Uh, it was four of them, and they all had about 65 liters of oil in them, and they would light them up during the whole fest, uh, festivities. And these, these, these candles would represent God. They were the light of the world. You know, most likely what they were referring to is uh, when God rescued his people and brought them out of Egypt. You remember, if you remember the story, he led them by day by a pillar of cloud, but by night he led them by uh, a, a pillar of fire. He lighted the way for them, literally, with his presence. This giant uh, a pillar of fire would light the way for them as they would follow him uh, in the wilderness. And so here at the Festival of Booths, you have all these candles lit, 65 liters of oil, and they said that Jerusalem, but all of Jerusalem would be lit up. You could see it from everywhere. And here at the end of the festival, as the candles are extinguished, as the lights go out, Jesus stands up, and what does he say? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He is making an announcement about who he is and about his own identity with these candles behind him that are representing the light of the world, God himself. As they go out, he says, I am the light of the world. You see, in John's gospel, uh, one of the unique features of it is that there's these seven different I am statements. It's where Jesus says, I am, and then it's followed by a predicate, right? I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. And this is extremely, should be extremely interesting for both, of, for both followers of Jesus and those of you who are here who may just be curious about Jesus. Because here we have John's testimony of who Jesus actually thought he was. Of Jesus' own understanding of his identity, his own understanding of his calling, of what he tried to do and who he thought he was in the world. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, the question is, okay, who is Jesus and who did Jesus think he was and what does that look like for me to follow him? And if you're here and you're wondering who Jesus was, we have the same questions, right? Who was he and what does it mean for me to follow him and to, to live with this guy who says that he is the light of the world? In John's gospel, he also does something else that's unique. Not only does he have these I am statements, but in John's gospel, there's not miracles, there's signs. These signs are things that Jesus did that point to his identity and point to his calling of who he thought he was. And often there are signs that are connected with these I am statements. So you might think of Jesus healing, uh, sorry, Jesus feeding the 5,000. And then he says, I am the bread of life. Where Jesus shows us that he is the only one who can satisfy us, the only one who can give and fill us up. Or the sign where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and then he says, I am the resurrection and the life. It's me. It's in me that this whole thing turns. The sign that is attached to this I am statement, where Jesus says he's the light of the world, is when Jesus gives sight to a man who has lived his whole life in darkness. A man who was born blind. Now this sign shows us two different ways that Jesus functions as the light of the world. Because remember our question is, what does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world and how do we follow him as the light of the world? So what does this do? Well, it gives us two different ways that Jesus functions as the light of the world. Here's the first one. As the light of the world, Jesus enlightens our eyes. He enlightens our eyes. Now, we know that light is an, inc an incredibly important thing, right? It's used in metaphors and figures of speech all over the place. We need light to see. We need light to live. And Jesus is saying that without him, we are all like this man 
We are born spiritually blind. Without Jesus, we cannot see anything. We cannot see the world as it truly is. Listen to the punchline of the story. We didn't read this, but this is from verses 39 and 41 of chapter 9. Jesus says, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. See, Jesus, as the light of the world, we need him to enlighten our eyes. At the end of this story, who is it that Jesus said is blind? Who is it that he says cannot see? The Pharisees. Right? These good folk who were, you know, the good religious folk of the day who studied God's word in chapter 9, they say, we are disciples of Moses. They had studied the Old Testament. They had, they had looked and, and they had spent time on every little jot and tittle learning the law. They knew it well. And Jesus says, you're blind. You are blind. You cannot see clearly. In the previous chapter, he actually said that they were children of Satan, who he calls the father of lies. So how were they, how were they spiritually blind? The Pharisees were spiritually blind because they, they thought they had God figured out. They thought they understood uh, everything there was to know about him. But their understanding and their conception of God was not correct. They were blind to the truth. They did not understand who God was, and they misrepresented him to all of their people. And apparently God takes this seriously. Apparently God wants us to know who he is and longs to show us that. And so we think about spiritual blindness because what Jesus is saying is that without him, everybody's in the same case. Everybody is like this man. We are born blind. We cannot see, even though we may think that we do see. So what does it mean to be spiritually blind? Well, to answer that, we have to go back to the second and third chapter of the Bible. Think about Adam and Eve. Right? Adam and Eve, they, they saw God. Right? God would walk with them. They saw them with, with, with their own eyes. They talked to him. They received his law, his words, right, directly from his mouth. They were not mediated to them. He said, you may eat, you must eat of all of these trees, but of the one tree you may not eat. They heard that from his own voice. They lived in his sanctuary. They were in the garden. They bore his image. They were the apex of his creation. Everything was the way that it was supposed to be. They saw God. It was paradise, until Satan, the father of lies, slithered in and deceived them into rebellion. Do you remember the story? Everything's good. Satan comes in and he says, Did God really say that you can't eat from any of these trees? I can't believe you bought that. Poor you. How antiquated can you be? You still believe that? Oh, goodness. That is not the way. Poor you. He told you you would die? Ah, you won't die. In fact, not only will you not die, you will become like God if you eat of this tree. Now, that's a very different view of God, isn't it? Listen to how Sinclair Ferguson, a, a pastor and theologian, puts this. He says, Eve was deceived. She, is, she exchanged the truth about God for a lie. That's from Romans. The lie by which the serpent deceived Eve was enshrined with a double suggestion that one— this father was in fact restrictive, self-absorbed, and selfish, 
since he would not let them eat from any of the trees. And two, his promise of death, if they were disobedient, was simply false. He says, thus the lie was an assault on both God's generosity and his integrity. Neither his character nor his words were to be trusted. This, in fact, is the lie that sinners have believed every, ever since. The lie of the not to be trusted because he does not love me, false father. That is the root of spiritual blindness. This is where it comes from. And all of us, as sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, we are quick to follow in their footsteps. Through Satan and the spiritual forces of this world, through society, through, through our own sin, we have been turned so that we, we are deceived and we self-deceive. We think we understand who God is. We think we know what he's like, and yet we don't. We are wrong. We, we believe a lie. We distrust, distrust God's character and his generosity. And this has tons of different implications for us because it can take us in, in uh, several different, different paths. It might look like uh, somebody who, who, it might lead to petty rule following to appease God because uh, he doesn't really love us unless we're good. Right? This fear of God, the suspicion of God. I, don't, I need to do these things. I need to cross my T's. I need to dot the I's. I need to be the best person I can be, or God will not love me, or something bad might happen to me. Well, that's a different view of God. It might also look like um, a rejection of God and an embrace of whatever your heart wants. You can't trust God and his word. Do whatever you want. Do you really still believe that? Nothing bad will happen to you. You will not surely die. We are like Adam and Eve. We, we are self-deceived and we are all are, are, are spiritually blind without Christ. We do not see God or ourselves as, we, as they actually are. So what's the antidote to the lie? How does Jesus heal our spiritual blindness? Well, Jesus enlightens our eyes by showing us who God really is. If we want to know what God is like, we need to look at, at Jesus. He is the image of the glory of God. Uh, in 2 Corinthians Four, listen to this passage from Paul. He says that the God of this world, that Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For God said, who, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What is he saying? The antidote to the lie of Satan, this self, this deception where we see God as however we want to, is Jesus himself, the light of the world, that in his face, in his person, in his life, and in his death, and his resurrection, we behold the beauty and the glory of God. There is no God in heaven who does not look like Jesus. And so Jesus, as the light of the world, he comes, and that's a big claim, He's not saying he's a light of the world. He's not saying that he's got a certain spin on God that he wants us to understand. He's saying, I am the light of the world. And it is only in me that we can understand and have our eyes opened to see the clarity, see with clarity who God is. And so the question I ask you is this, are you blind or can you see? Now here's, here's a simple test. How do you view God? Is he the not to be trusted because he doesn't love you, false father? Are you suspicious of him? Are you afraid of him? Are you unsure of him? Do you maybe give a, a, a head knowledge 
kind of nod towards him, but in your heart, you're trusting other things, but you really don't believe that he's going to provide or that he's as good as he says he is. Are you afraid of him? Or have you looked at Jesus and seeing, have you seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus? Is he beautiful? Is he wise? Is he a God who is holy and different and yet is eager to, to step into the grayness of this life, who initiates, who loves, who cares, who desires fellowship, who gives abundantly, who is full of mercy and love? And lavishes us with his grace. See, Jesus, as a light of the world, he enlightens our eyes. He opens our eyes to see God as he really is. And without him, we walk around in spiritual blindness. And the, and the dangerous thing about spiritual blindness is that when we are spiritually blind, we think we can, we think we can see. And not only do we think we can see, we think we can see more clearly than anybody else. We need Christ to enlighten our eyes, to open our eyes so that we can see God as he truly is. Now, the second thing that he does, he doesn't just open our eyes and enlighten our eyes, he enlightens our path. I think one of the, the biggest questions that Christians ask, at least college students, is what is God's will for my life? Right, we want God, who's, who's the light of the world, we want him to shine a little of that light into our darkness so that we can know what to do. And by that, I think what we really want... Um, at least when I say that, when I want to know God's will for my life, often what I'm really after is I want to know the script. Can you just give me the script? Right? I, I want to know what I'm supposed to do. And where that comes from, if I'm honest, is not out of a desire to give God glory or to follow him or to become like him. I want the script because I want to avoid pain and suffering. I, don't, I want to avoid shame. I don't want to fall. I want to do this thing right. I want to know exactly what I'm supposed to do. If you just give me the script, I'll follow it, right? Because life seems like an endless, uh, an endless set of choices, all with the possibility of ruining everything. Right? If I make one wrong decision, then life's over. And so we want to know the script. Where does that come from? Well, it is a side effect of spiritual blindness. That God is the not to be trusted because he doesn't love me, false father. Right? We're living as if we're on our own. And life is scary and it's full of, of pain and suffering and we'd like to avoid as much of that pain and suffering as we can. And so it comes from fear and angst instead of trust and joy and dependence on Christ. You see, as, as the light of the world, Jesus, he does light the way that we are to walk in. He does guide us. He enlightens the path. But God's will for your life is not to follow the script. It's to follow Jesus out of darkness and into the light. Remember he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, not the script, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you want to know what God's will for your life is, I can tell you right now. God's will for your life is for you to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus and to trust him and love him enough that you are willing to follow him today to what he's calling you to do. Even though you don't know the script and even though he will not show you the script. Let's think about this man he was born blind for a minute. Put yourself in his shoes or his sandals. He, he was born blind. He's never seen a thing, okay? He's never seen a color. He's not seen his mom. He's never seen a rainbow. He's never seen a man or a woman. Nothing in God's creation. And he's sitting there in darkness. And as the story reads, he's just there, and he overhears these people talking about him. And what are they talking about? They want to know if he's the sinner or if his mom and dad's the sinner, right? He's probably thinking, I've heard this one before. People always want to know, how did I get in this situation? And then uh, all of a sudden he hears 
footsteps coming towards him. Jesus doesn't announce that it's him. He doesn't say, hey, I'm coming your way. He hears footsteps. And all of a sudden, he hears a man spit on the ground. This can't be good, right? And then he's, now he's, he's right on you, and he's rubbing mud all over your face, all over your eyes. And he doesn't tell you what he's doing. You don't know. Is he humiliating me? What in the world is happening right now? And all he says to you is, go and wash in the pool of, Silo- of Siloam. That's all he gets. Right? It is completely incomplete, isn't it? I mean, think about, think about us. I mean, what, what would you demand to know before following his instruction? We'd have a lot of questions, wouldn't we? What are you doing to me? Why, why, why spit on the ground? I mean, why don't you use your water? I mean, why does it have to be spit, right? Why, why did you have to put mud all over my face? Why do I have to go wash? What does this, what does this have to do with anything? What good is going to come out of this? Go to this pool? Where is this pool? I'm blind. I can't see. Right? We'd have lots of questions that we would want to know before we would actually go and do this. But no, none of those questions are asked. And definitely none of those questions are answered. All we get is go. So what happens to him when he follows Jesus' Jesus's, uh, advice or his instruction? Well, some good things and some bad things, right? Uh, he's healed. He goes and he washes in this pool and now all of a sudden it says that his eyes are opened and he can see. He was born blind. He follows Jesus. And now he can actually see clearly. But some other things happened to him. If you go back and you reread the story, which I'd encourage you to do, it's long. Um, that's why we didn't read it this morning. But he's, he's called into the, to the temple twice. This man becomes basically um, the center of attention. And what becomes a, a social, a political, and even a, a, a family conflict Right? He, he is questioned by uh, the leaders there. He is thrown out of the temple. His parents come in, and his parents are afraid of, of what will happen to them, and so they throw him under the bus. They say, yes, this is our son, but why don't you go ask him? We don't know what happened to him. So he comes back into the temple. Uh, he's humiliated in front of them all, they say to him. Uh, You're a sinner, and you teach us? And then they cast him out. Okay, he was born blind. He was already a marginal figure in society, but now he is cast out of his social circles. He is cast out of everything he knows. He is a Jewish man, and he's cast out of the synagogue. But then what happens to him? It says that Jesus heard that he'd been thrown out, and so Jesus goes to find him, and this is what happens. Jesus found him, and he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him. It is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he erupted in to worship. He worshiped him. Let me just draw a few points from this as we start to to land the plane here. Jesus doesn't give us all the details at once. He calls us to follow him as the light of the world, but he will not give us the script. What does he give us? Well, sometimes he just gives us that next step. I just put mud all over your face and I'll go wash in this pool. Jesus will not give us the script. He doesn't call us to follow the script. He calls us to follow him. But having given us eyes to see, we see that he is a God who loves us and is for us, who is holy and different from us and yet enters in and longs to know us. And so out of, not out of fear and not out of angst, but out of trust and out of love, we are willing to follow that next step because we know that he's good. Now, this doesn't mean that following Jesus will be easy or that it will not have costs, right? The reason we want the script is because we want to avoid suffering and shame and, and, and problems. And 
when this guy follows Jesus, he gets all of those things. And so that doesn't mean that when Jesus calls you to follow him in a certain area, that it's, that it's going to be easy. Or that it's going to be pain-free. It might have cost to it. But it will be worth it. Why? Because we get Jesus. You know, the more that I, that I study this and I think about Jesus being the light of the world, as he shows up and shows us who God is, what does he do? He puts us back humbly and lovingly in our place. You know, Adam and Eve back in the garden when they said, when, when Satan slithered up and he deceived them, he said, look, God is not to be trusted. You need to do this on your own. I can't believe you believed him. You won't die. You can eat of any tree you want to. Go and have at it, right? What did they do? They went rogue and they began to live as if they were on their own, doing whatever they want to. They lived as if, um, as if they were kings, doing whatever they longed to do. And as, when they did that, they stopped being human. They stopped being those who were made in the image of God. And they said, I want to do this my own way. I want to identify myself. And when Jesus comes in and he says, I am the light of the world. And he gives us eyes to see. What does he do? He says, I'm God and I love you. And I've called you to be made in my image. And that means you follow. We don't get to be the leader here. We don't get to be the light. We walk in the light. We follow him. And it gives us, it humbles us to walk in his ways and to recognize that the king loves us and the king has us and he's good. So what is God's will for your life? How does Jesus as a light of the world enlighten the path and show you what to do? Well, God's will is for you to follow Jesus, the light of the world. It has less to do with what you do and more, more to do with who you're becoming. Now this obviously requires spending time with Jesus and his word. You know, Paul will talk about this. He'll pray that people, that, that, that the eyes of their hearts are enlightened. We need Jesus for this. We need to be in his word to have his, his word shape and renew us so that we are uh, constantly living out of the clarity of who Jesus is and how he describes God to us instead of our own self-deceived hearts. We need to spend time with him so that we can walk in his ways. And that means it requires Jesus. We cannot do this without him. So when this happens, our life goes from a multitude of decisions that have the potential to mess everything up to a day-by-day walk. Jesus is leading. He's the light of the way. And we are called to follow him just as the Israelites were called to follow the light. As it moved, you picked up the tent and you walked and followed after it. So what does this look like in life? What looks like saying things like, what now, Jesus? Instead of, hey, can you give me the five-year plan? Can you give me the 10-year plan? I want the script. It looks like saying, what now, Jesus? What today? I'm so angry right now at this person. How do I respond with compassion and integrity? How do I handle this in a way that gives you glory? What do you want me to do? What now, Jesus? What now, Jesus? Why am I so tempted in this way? Why does this temptation have such a hold on my heart? What am I missing? I know what my motives are. I know why I'm like this. But Lord, help me to see you and to walk in your way. What now, Jesus? How do I get out of this? What now, Jesus? Okay, I went on a date with Jessica. Should I go on another one? Is this bringing glory to you? Right? Instead of just saying, is this the person I'm supposed to marry? Asking, what now, Jesus? Or what now, Jesus? Does the work of my hands bring you joy? What do I do with this coworker? What do I do with this child? What do I do with my, my son's disobedience? What now, Jesus? We're called to walk day by day following him. We're called to walk in the light. Light's important. We need light to see. Uh, a couple years ago, actually it was about four years ago, 
Jessica and I went uh, to the eastern side of the Cascade Mountains to spend Christmas over there. She was seven months pregnant with Asa, our firstborn, and so we didn't travel that year. And uh, we were going, right, it was right after school was out, and I can remember driving over Snoqualmie Pass. And I don't remember there was, I don't think there's any lights up there. There's, it's, it's just dark, right? And on this particular day, there were no cars. It was just us. And we got to the top of the Snoqualmie Pass, and a heavy, dense fog settled in over us. And uh, Jessica was driving, and I remember telling her, I said, hey, why don't you try uh, dimming the lights? Because low beams sometimes can, can give you a little bit more light, and you can see underneath the fog. And so we're on the top of the mountain, 65 miles an hour, you know, flying through, this, through these curves. And she goes to dim the lights, but instead of dimming them, she actually turned them off. And so there we are, you know, barreling down the mountain roads, right, in a fog, and it just goes completely black. And we screamed and we yelled, and it felt like 15 minutes of just of sheer panic until she got the lights back on. And this was such a traumatic experience for us that both Jessica and I forgot how to dim our lights. We know, we know even today, I get nervous when I go to dim my lights. I had to go to High Road Automotive in Ballard and ask them, how, how do you dim your lights? Both of us forgot how to do it. It was so traumatic. Now, driving in Snoqualmie Pass in the dark is dangerous, Right? We need the light to see where we're going. But living life spiritually blind is even more dangerous than that. And the reason that it is so dangerous is that when we are spiritually blind, we think we can see. We think we've got everything figured out. We think we know the way, just like the Pharisees. We need Christ. So let me ask you this. Do you see clearly or are you still walking in darkness? You ask Christ to enlighten the eyes of your heart today. Lord, give me faith. Help me to see, help me to see you. Help me to see God as he truly is in the face of Jesus. To give you faith so that you can see the beauty of the glory of God in the face of Jesus and trust him enough to walk with him today. Whether that is going to cost you or bring you pain or suffering or bring you joy. Say, what now, Jesus? I know you're good and you've called me to follow you. I'm not the light. You're the light. Help me to follow you and to walk in your ways. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel of John. We thank you, Lord, that you have, that you came. Lord, as light of the world, you, you showed up. You took on flesh and became one of us. And in you was life. And in that life was the light of men. Lord, we need the light. Lord, I pray that you would, you would bring clarity, that you would shine in our hearts this morning, that we may see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Lord, I pray that that might bring us to our knees, that might humble us, but it also might encourage us, that might give us faith, it might give us uh, complete joy to know that you, are, that you are holy and wise, but you are good and loving. And Lord, may we trust you enough to walk in your ways. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When it comes to uh, money and what we do with our money, uh, we're really talking about a matter of trust. Do we trust uh, our money and our wealth to take care of us, or do we trust the Lord? So who really is our master? And uh, that's, that's our encouragement. Uh, it's from Luke 16, 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The ushers may now come forward.